daydreaming about dragons. Let's talk about having too many players and having too few. Uh, these are things that are coming up for me recently, and I think it's a good thing to have a chat about. Too many players is, is something that happens less as I've gotten older, because I think as I get older, I am better at setting my boundaries, right? When I was in college, if I was running a game and someone heard about it, I would pretty much, and they said, hey, can I join? A, join? I would say, sure, most of, 99% of the time, which led to tables with you know, up to maybe nine people. And I know people who jammed in college who had way more than that. You know, a dozen, 16, 17. And they'll, they'll talk about how great that was. And bless their cotton socks. Uh, for me, it was a little much. And, and I found that even for as long as those games were, making sure everyone got their time was very challenging. And it's still very challenging. Uh, over Zoom, my, uh, I find that... The, you know, more players makes it much more difficult because you start talking over each other. And, and talking over each other over Zoom is just way worse than talking over each other at the table. It's just you don't have – there's so much nonverbal communication that gets just destroyed by the video conference uh, format. And I've got a game with like seven – like me and seven people – and I adore all these people. You know, I would not want to say no. I wouldn't want to even go back in time and say no. Because I've really liked what the people who are in that game have brought to my life and have brought to the game. And here's what I'm noticing is that it means that sometimes players fade to the background. Especially if you're playing a more traditional game, which I am. I'm playing D&D 5e with these folks. And there is no mechanics. There are no, there are no mechanics for highlights. You know, it's not like, oh, this is a highlight. You know, we're not playing primetime adventures where there's a spotlight episode. So that can make it difficult. And so I, I, it means I have to check in sometimes. You know, when someone fades into the back, I have to check in and be like, hey, you didn't really say much this game. And I realize now I didn't ask you very much this game. Is everything okay? And so far it's been okay. What I am finding is that a nice thing, so a way to look at it in a positive light is that when you have a lot of players, it means the players can kind of fade into the background. You know, when my buddy Drew is having a, a, a tough day and he's got a lot of important life decisions to make, right? Drew, right? <laughs> uh, then he can kind of take a step back and take a breather and know that like cool things are still going to happen. Decisions are still going to get made. Things are still going to move forward. And, and he's, you know, the game's not going to come to a crashing halt because he had a, you know, he had a low energy day. And to be honest, he told me he had a low energy day after the game. And I had not noticed. I had not noticed that he was, he was, you know, holding on by a thread and, and not able to, to, to really focus. He told me that later. I didn't know. So we can look at that as, as a, as a, as something that's good. You know, we, 
you can you can play with that. Um, and I wonder if I could work that into the structure. You know, I wonder if we were going back and we were structuring this game, we could make it as like an organization that has, you know, the main characters and then kind of the hirelings and make it hierarchical so that, you know, like looking back at like Ars Magica, where you've got the, the, the Maggie, the Custy and the Grogs. And you can kind of have this shared pool of hireling characters so that if you're having a day where you just want to chill and sit back, you can just take, you know, a, a torchbearer and, and have a chill day. And you never know. Sometimes that character might end up in a, in a wild situation where they have to rise up and take, take charge. But that, and that's cool. But I'm thinking, you know, there are ways to structure this. You know, if you've got, if I've got a huge table... Can we say, you know, if I had nine people who are like, I, we want to play D&D now, be like, okay, three of you are going to make up your main characters and the rest of you are going to make up a pool of hirelings all together. And then we'll go from there. And if we want to continue, each player can make up an, a different character somehow associated with what's been happening. And... We'll swap in and out. We'll have different missions. We'll go here and there. And you can structure the game for that. Right? Hmm. I'm liking that. There might be a, there's a blog post in there somewhere. It's coming. It's coming. Keep an eye out. Keep an eye out. That's interesting. I'm digging that. I'm digging that a lot. I'm going to have to think on that one. I'm going to have to think on that one quite a bit. Hmm. Good stuff. So what happens when we have too few? What happens when too few players show up? And I noticed this in game in, in our Blades in the Dark game. You know, there was a really cool session where only my buddy Pete and I think it was Sean, because me and Sean made it to almost every game and other folks had a lot of other things going on. So I think there were two sessions where it was just me and Sean. It was like, maybe it was right before me, Sean, and Pete, right? And I think it was right around the holidays. And we realized we were going to have two weeks with just three players, which is cool with me. Uh, I'm sure if you've been listening, if you have been listening to the show for a while, you might have picked up. I love, 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 love uh, a GM and two players. I, I think small tables, GM and one player is pretty dope too. Those tables feel very cinematic to me. You get a lot of spotlight time. You get a lot of character growth. You, you, get a, you, get a, you, get the, you get to see those characters make a lot of decisions in a short amount of time. And it's super fun. Super duper effing fun. So that's cool. That is really cool. So what did we do? What, the cool thing about it is that because Blades in the Dark has structure built in, right? Suddenly, these two characters who were in a gang together who interacted but we didn't see them bond like that suddenly had uh you know a, a very close couple of you know a, a job where they were very closely linked and because they were both very ghost oriented we and and had a lot of like 
powers and had made character choices that linked them to the, the ghost world. Uh, we linked them to a job. I, you know, I made a job for them right off the bat where they were looking for Rorik's ghost. And there were all of these other parties looking for the ghost. And everybody, you know, all these people are hunting, the, the Dimmer Sisters and the, the Railjacks and all these folks hunting for the ghosts. And it was cool. It was cool to see these two characters who didn't usually interact suddenly get thrown together in a, in a buddy episode. Uh, if you've watched Avatar The Last Airbender, you know, there were all those, mo- there were all those shows where someone ended up with, with Zuko. And they had kind of like a team-up episode. And it was kind of cool. It was cool. And it was a way to kind of integrate that character into the game. Super fun. And so too few is, is a problem that I think, yeah, don't, don't sweat too few too much. Uh, I know there's a lot of, see, it, it, it depends. If you're at a good stopping point from the last game, too few is a good problem to have. It's fun. You can kind of do some downtime with the two characters. You can do a little side mission with them. You can have some fun with it, but if you're right in the middle of a bunch of things, if you're right in the bottom of the dungeon and no one can show up, and you've got to say, like, oh, all the other characters are suddenly, you know, comatose, oh, that can be a little frustrating. That can be a little frustrating. I see that. I see that. I see that. But going back to our too many problem, if you are, if you have the characters embedded in a huge organization, and you've got too few players, and you've got a pool of kind of hirelings and grogs, they can pick up a grog and do kind of a weird side mission. You know, someone who got left back at the, at the, at the, at the, at the headquarters. Yeah, I'm definitely, you know, I did not start off, this is not in my notes, I did not start off this way, but I am definitely writing a blog post about what to do if you have too many players, uh, and, 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 you want, and they all want to play D&D. Because I know what all of my indie RPG friends would say is like, well, you can play Moldve. Moldve is designed for you know, a dozen players. That's how they did it back in the old days. But I think you can do it. I think you can do it with 5A. I think you could do it. Yupper. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. Man, maybe a blog post, maybe even a PDF. Hmm. All right. Let's wrap this up a little bit. And I don't think that, and I'm, I'm thinking about these things in very D&D-centric ways. There are other things you can do, I think. If you've got too many players, you can also just split the group up. And just be like, hey, why don't you play this game over at this table? We'll play this game over at this table. And we'll, we'll meet in the middle somewhere. Who, who can GM? Who can do this? Who can do that? And just split things up. You know, it, it's a different vibe and it's a different decision based on, you know, if you've just got, hey, I've got the Friday night game going, and then, you know, a dozen people say, we all want to play in this Friday night game, you know? So I'm going to, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that situation. And then the situation of, hey, we're all at this barbecue and we all want a game. Okay. So it's a difference between campaign and barbecue. Let's talk about the two. Let's talk about these two situations. These are two very different situations. All right, so you've got the Friday night game going. It's an infinite game. No one knows when this thing is going to... It's just on Friday nights, I open the doors and people come in and, and we game. 
Um, you know, there's a, there's a Facebook group or a Google group or something like there are email lists. There's a, there's a text list. It's, it's, it's wild and woolly every Friday. Okay. Sounds good. So I think I'm living in a fantasy world with this one, but okay. I mean, I, I, yeah, let's play with this idea. If only because it's so much fun and I put word out, Hey, who wants to play this game? And Let's just go wild. 16 people say, I, I want to play. I say, all right, hold up. <laughs> hold up. All right, I'm going to will this down a little bit. This is the game I would like to play. And I'd like to play this adventure. And, and I will totally do that. Uh, I, it doesn't always have to be a democracy. Matter of fact, I find getting together with people and deciding what to play can be really difficult. And I, I know that it's not that, it's not that I want a hierarchy, it's not hierarchical. It's not hierarchical to say, hey, I'm going to run a game on Fridays and I'm going to run this game playing in this module. And I will totally do that. Totally, totally. And then, you know, say when the module ends, then we'll talk. We'll see if we want to keep going. That's totally legit. So 16 people. Let's say I do that. I say I'm going to play D&D. Uh, I'm going to be playing, you know, uh, Curse of Curse of Strahd, uh, and and we're we're gonna play on Friday nights. All right, sixteen people say we all want to play. I'm like, oh boy. Okay, hold up, hold up. All right, we need to we need to have a talk. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna say, all right, this is what we're gonna do. Um, we're gonna pick an organization that we like. I'm gonna put out you know a couple of patrons couple of ideas for an organization that we like. Everybody will make a player character, but you know, you're not necessarily going to play that player character every game. Right? And then we're all going to get together, and just for fun, I would probably make like a easy way to piece together hirelings. There are, there are rules for sidekicks in, I think, maybe Tasha's? I don't know, one of the D&D games. So I would say, we're all going to make a bunch of sidekicks, like three sidekicks. And I'd have a menu, you know, a menu of things you can pick for, for sidekicks. And, and it's, you know, just say, hey, let's try not to make the same exact ones. But like, you know, five tables of six, you pick, check, 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 check. Good. Uh, you know, hireling made, throw them in the middle. And the, the cool thing is that everyone can play these hirelings. And I'll say, you know, you've got a base in Barovia where you operate out of and off we go. Uh, and that way, and, and the other, the other conversation I'd want to have as we were making characters is, is everyone going to make it to every game? How busy are you? Let's be real. I need to take a pulse here because if everyone shows up to every game, I don't know how this is going to go. Um, and, and the way I'm going to do this is that, you know, it's, we're going to kind of do it mission based. And so at the end of the game, I need everybody back at HQ so that next game we can launch again and we can figure out who goes out and I would structure it. I would, you know, with more players, I would structure it very carefully because otherwise I don't, you know, I, I need, I need kind of like that spotlight episode PTA type of, I, I need more structure with the larger group. Uh, I need, I need sessions to go by where, where, 
you say like, hey, you're going to be playing a supporting character. And if you always want to play a supporting character, that's great. That's totally cool. But if not, then well, we need to talk. And as I was saying before, we need to have a heart-to-heart, or as my friend Drew would say, a come-to-crom moment. Where I say, listen, everybody, I need you to talk to me about your life. Are you all really going to make it to every Friday night game? Like, tell me how busy you are. Tell me what's going to keep you from coming. Um, Yeah, because I don't, you don't necessarily, with a group that big, you kind of almost don't want everyone to show up. It's almost better if they don't. And then you see where it goes. And you also say, listen, we need, like, if you're going to bring a guest, like, you need to okay it with everybody because this is going to be too much. And, and that's cool, but I really, really want a game. So that's how I'd handle it. And if they were saying everyone's going to come to every game, I'd be like, all right, we, it could be that we don't have um, a game group. We have a game club is what we have. So maybe we need, we need to split this into two different groups or three different groups. We could do three different, like two different, two groups of five and a group of six. Maybe that's the way we do this. That's on the table. But I think I could do a big one. Especially if not everyone showed up. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, there's something there. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Let's wrap this up. Wrap this up with too few. I think we need to also talk about the game, a game situation where just the GM and one player show up. Right? Uh, so there are a couple different ways to handle that. You can totally have... A one-on-one game, a side kind of thing with with one character, that's totally cool. And the other thing to do is if you see this happening a lot, if it's like, hey, me and this character, your person are just showing up a lot and this other person isn't able to make it all a bunch. You know, if we're, if there, there are two people who show up every week and everybody else is kind of scattered, then get together with the person who shows up every week and say, let's have a side game. Let's have a B game that just we play on weeks that only we show up. And I say that because my the two B games I've run straight up have become campaigns. It happened with Sean and it happened with Jay. It just has happened with me. So heads up for B games. Set them up. If you see that, you know, if, if I had a group of 16, heaven forbid. <laughs> I don't even think I have 16 people in my apartment. If I had a huge group and... You know, three people were showing up every week. That might be a different game, but who knows? Anyway, too few, too few people showing up. Might might be an idea to cancel. Might be an idea to say, "Hey, I see that a couple people are always showing up. Let's let's have a side game with just them, or let's structure the game so that the people who aren't able to show up every game, it's it's in there. It's embedded." Because if you're just, you know, out in the world, if you're in the middle of Mariah and suddenly the, the person playing Legolas can't show up or the person playing Gandalf can't show up, suddenly it's like, this is frustrating. Like, where'd Gandalf go? Legolas wandered off again. You know, it's, it's, it can be a weird thing. So, too many, too few players. Good problems to have. Let me know how you deal with it. What do you do when someone can't make it? What's a quorum? When do you always play? How many people do you need? Curious. Curious to hear your thoughts. Let me know. 
How about some Inspiration Goat, shall we? All right, Inspiration Goat, here we go. I am listening to the audiobook of Gideon the Ninth, and I'll tell you why I'm doing that, and I'll tell you what I'm thinking about as I do so, and, and what I, how it relates to gaming. Um, I read this book when The Ark came out a while ago. I started raving about it, talking about how much I loved it to everyone who would listen. A lot of my friends have, listened, have read it multiple times, and I'm at a point now where people close around me, uh, Jonicky, my friend Jim, uh, my friend Nina, they've read it and have, have, take, have, have digested it much more deeply than I have. And so I hear them talking about it, and I'm like, I don't know that I got that out of it. Um, like they, they just took in setting details at a much greater you know, ability than I did. And now I don't, I, I'm, I need to go back. So I'm, I'm listening to the audiobook. Uh, I find I like audiobooks after I've already read something because I find I get different things out of it. And the audiobook narrator for for Gideon is perfect. Uh, she, I'll put a link to it. Uh, the, the actor is really amazing, and she she captures the hu- there's a lot of humor in Gideon, and that's what I want to talk about. There's humor in Gideon the Ninth, but it's this very dark, very dramatic very traumatic, necromantic space opera. Uh, I don't know what else to call it. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of knives in space to the nth degree. Um, and, 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 you know, disaster lesbians, and it's just brilliant. But it, it manages to be funny and tragic and awful all at once. And I'm trying to figure out how you do that at the table. And I think the reason why it works, and, I'm, I, and I think, right, taking in mind that, that the media are very different. Uh, a tabletop role-playing game is very different than a book. So, you know, the books have these kind of characters with these wry senses of humor but they're not it's not a funny it's not it's not a funny book it's not terry pratchett uh it's not it's not goofy um it's not a humor book but it 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 does have a very definite dark sense of humor and i i think you know what i think there's a, a thing that i definitely do in my in in the games that i play uh where we do something similar and now here here's how it happens i think by taking these ridiculous situations that we get ourselves in very seriously, you find yourself saying ridiculous things, right? My friend Anthony got a bag of holding, and he found out that there was a little man, you know, kind of a golem-like creature. His character is a halfling or a hobbit. And he found out he has this golem-like creature living in his bag of holding, kind of a horror thing and what and and he he ran to another character and said you know when when they came when, when they rendezvoused together and said oh it's so cool i've got a little vampire in my bag and it's funny and it wasn't anthony wasn't being goofy 
he was just playing his character as like joyful and and I kind of loved it and I think here's why I loved it and here why it wasn't a joke that sapped the horror out of the situation is because it was in character and it was taking the world seriously but not being serious about the world is that it did I just solve it did I just solve it in one phrase accidentally uh I might have. I might have. That phrase might be it. To take the world seriously but not be serious about the world. Hmm. Hmm. I think I might have just accidentally done it. This might be over. This whole thing. This whole, uh, this, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. And by whole thing being over, I mean this, this, uh, this segment of the, of the podcast, because that's really what I'm thinking about. And I've been thinking about it a lot. There have been other, uh, you know, we've talked about lower decks. We've talked about what we do in the shadows and how they make fun of something, but they don't deride it. They don't make us feel bad for liking it. Um, and I think a good D&D game does that too. A good role-playing game does that too, is there can be goofy moments that are only goofy because the world is so wild and fantastic and wondrous. And so these wondrous, fantastic things happen, and some of them are funny to us from a real-world standpoint. And that's okay. That's not making fun of it. Uh, it's not, you know, cracking jokes every time. You know, it's not quoting Monty Python every time someone says anything. Uh, it's a little different. So I've been thinking about that a lot because I, I feel like I take my game seriously but I also think we laugh a lot at the table. And we laughed a lot. The last Thursday, I could feel something lifting at the table. Like everybody just seemed to, to be mirthful in a way that they haven't in about 15 months. And I think, you know, after everything we've been through with, with the pandemic and, and the ups and downs, and I'm not saying the pandemic is over because it is not over. But with everything that's been happening, it's been, you know, it's been a heck of a thing. And, and I think we're, things are starting to move towards normal where we are in upstate New York. And, and the relief is palpable. And being able to see and hug my vaccinated friends is just huge. So that's where some of this kind of vent laughter comes from. And I also think about laughter. You know, there was a class I took in Shakespeare, and when we, when we read dark plays, we laughed more because we had to, to just process this stuff. So if you're running a really dark game, like, people might be laughing just because they're uncomfortable. And that might be, hopefully, that's in a good way, right? Hopefully you're laughing because things are just so dark and, oh, this is just what I signed up for, and it's fun. But maybe, maybe not. I don't know. How about you? How does, how does mirth, how does laughter, how do jokes work at your table? Huh? How's it going? When, 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 is, when is the laughter good and when is it, when is it kind of an eye roll? What, when, when, what kind of jokes do you like and what kind of jokes do you not like? So that's what I'd like to hear. Let me know. Let me know. And for goodness sake, read Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth. The third book is coming out soon, and they're splendid books. Uh, 
it's, I just think there's a lot to them. The first one almost reads like a whodunit, a, a weird whodunit in, in necromantic space. Uh, but but it's not, I don't know. Saying it's a whodunit is a little weird because I don't like whodunits. Anyway, check it out. Gideon the Ninth. You won't regret it. Outro time. Thank you so much for listening to Daydreaming About Dragons. I appreciate it. There are a number of ways to support the show. Let's go through them. First of all, you can send me an email or a tweet. The email should go to judd.carlman at, e- at gmail.com. That's J-U-D-D dot K-A-R-L-M-A-N at gmail.com. Let me know if something in the show helped, if something in the show confused you, if something in the show angered you, if something in the show you feel, feel needs more delving. Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how this relates to things going on at your table. Tell me what's going on with you. So tell me, you know, all of it. I'd love to hear from you. It'll go on a reply show. So drop me a line or drop me a tweet. Love to hear from you. You can go, you can just jump on whatever podcasting apparatus you are using and leave a good review. Five star. It's a big deal. Feed the algorithm. The algorithm demands blood. I've got a threadless shop and I've got a daydreaming about dragons shop. So if you want an inspiration goat t-shirt sticker, do you want the inspiration goat shower curtain? You do. You do, don't you? The link is in the show notes. You can go and do that. You can, uh, you know, through the Anchor app, you can both send me an MP3 and let me know what's going on with you, or you can pledge to give me some money or give me money every month. That's very appreciated. I love it. Paying me for my time is really nice. Uh, All the money from the Threadless Shop goes to Cool Causes. Check it out. You can see it. All the artist proceeds. I don't collect any money from that. Uh, So drop me a line. Let me know what's going on. I hope your summer is going well. I hope you're vaccinated. Uh, I hope your family has come through this all right and is going to finish it out strong. And uh, be safe. And I'll talk to you soon.